back to the dark side. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I'm your host, Brianna. I'm Dyson. And this is Dark Adaptation. <laughs> a tribute to earlier when we were testing our mics and I for some reason was talking so low like a man <laughs> <laughs> so that was for you Dyson that was absolutely fucked up and I loved it thank you a very masculine introduction sure was a very masculine introduction to the show yeah what <laughs> you like sports Brianna sometimes depends on the sport Depends on what I have to wear. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just making it weird. I do like sports. Hmm. Some sports. I like UFC. Okay. And I like hockey. Okay. That's it. I like basketball too, actually. Those are all like low tier sports. That's so Shit tier sports. Okay. Wow. I'm um, into... Cornhole on ESPN3. <laughs> Schnooker, but only if it's the qualifying round. I don't like to see who actually wins. Mm -hmm. And ping pong African circuit. All right. Yeah. It's very specific mm -hmm. and not low tier at all. Those are S tier. What's S tier? It's like, there's like, it's like the best of tier. There's like A, B, C, but like, there's like A, but like then there's like S, and you're like, oh, fuck. Are darts in there? Darts is pretty good, actually. <laughs> I like it, I like it too because each time it's the dude's turn, because it's always a dude to go up and throw darts, their face is more and more red because yep. they're just getting fucking dickered. My favorite is when they they get really into the game and they start <laughs> talking to themselves and forget the cameras on. <laughs> Yo, do you want to just stop recording and go watch some darts? I thought you'd never ask. Okay, we're back. That was exhilarating. Oh, God. The way they handle those darts. Darts. <laughs> <laughs> we're so stupid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do we even have listeners at this point? This I don't know. Just if they're with us. us, they're weird, too. <laughs> I hope so. Listen, we live in our own little world, okay? You're more than welcome to be a part of it. Yeah. You, listener. Let us know your favorite ESPN <laughs> channel to watch excluding espn that covers mainstream hockey mainstream hockey yeah okay like field hockey counts good god <laughs> people come in like i don't watch hockey i'm actually like more of a ringette person <laughs> <laughs> all right anyway welcome to episode 43 whatever we were just talking about has nothing to do with this episode so sure doesn't thanks usually for tuning won't. in <laughs> It's the last episode of November, which is crazy. It is. How did we fly through November already? I know. It's messed up. It was a little fucked up. That was fucked up. That was fucked up. That was disgusting. That was the grossest thing I have ever heard on this on this show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure 
trying to think of something clever to say and I couldn't because my eyes are watering because that verb was actually really <laughs> gnarly. Okay. Wow. To start this off, I have two reminders for you after that lovely banter of an intro. The first reminder is that somehow it's our one year anniversary coming up next week. Woo! I mean, how did we even get through this one year? What the fuck? One year? I know. One year! A whole year. So that was so shrill. <laughs> oh, 52 weeks. Right? Yeah. Episode 43, but I mean, we've only missed like one or two weeks. Some of them have been two-parters, so that's why we're not on episode 52. Yeah, if anyone wants to get on our case about it, there's 52 weeks in a year and we are publishing episode 51, not including like part, like including part one and two as separate. Oh, really? Yeah, this is our 51st uh, first out of 52 51st. weeks, so get off her ass. <laughs> Were you even there to begin with? We're not sure, but we felt something. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it is crazy. It's our one year anniversary. It's coming up. So please make sure that you follow us on Instagram. I handle the Instagram. Dyson handles the Twitter. Yep. I always forget. The Twitter? The Twitter. The Twitter. I always forget to plug Twitter because I hate Twitter, but I know that you <laughs> use Twitter. You manage it over there. So yeah. if you want to talk to me. You reach out to me on Instagram. You want to talk to Dyson. You can reach out to Dark Adapt Pod on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And we want to hear from you because we want case suggestions. If there's any like fun, interesting, cool, funny, whatever questions that you want to ask us that we can answer on the show next week, that would be awesome to hear from you. Or. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> send me spicy memes. Oh, yeah. We do love yeah. memes. They don't even have to be on topic. Just send me spicy memes. Spicy. Yeah. I'll send you some back. He'll probably make you one. I'll probably make you one. He makes memes <laughs> all the time. They're usually very niche to our interest, but yeah. hey, you're still here. It'll be personalized for you. Taylor made memes just for you. Wow, what a yeah, bitch. There you go. You can also just say something nice, you know? You don't have to like have a question or like a case suggestion. You can just be like, hey, like, appreciate you. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> just that. Literally any attention. Hey. No, why? Hey. <laughs> and then, yeah, the second thing you could do is, um, you know, help us over here, support the show however you can. You can buy us a coffee. You could buy a patch, which, Dyson, what's the patch? It's a gorgeous embroidered patch that's available on our website, darkadaptationpodcast.ca. <laughs> and you know what's great about it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Asked you that question as you were drinking. Mm hmm. No tax, no shipping. Flat price, $14. And it's beautiful. That's beautiful. You could put it on a jean jacket. You could put it on a blanket. You could put it on your purse. My purse is a very weird material. Stick it on your cat if you want. Just stick it on there. Don't iron it on. Good God. (laughs) I'll I'll call the SPCA or someone. I'll call your mom. Yeah, I will. I'll tell. (laughs) I'll tell. Go to your room. Okay, you could also, if you don't, you know, that's like free ways to support the show too, though. You can rate the show, you can review the show wherever you're listening. And the easiest thing to do is just share the show with somebody. Tell a friend, tell a family member, anything. It helps us grow. It's fun. You're here still and you like us and, and I, um, share the show. Yeah, you don't have to buy anything or send money or anything like that. If you like us, just show us that you like it by yeah, just, like rating the show. Just rate the show. Yeah. Anyway. You want to get into this? 
Do you want to get into this? <laughs> Do you want to get into this true crime case? We got crime. It's true. It's a case. It's true. It People takes- don't forget. It was, like, was like eight years ago, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I want to get into this. All right. Before we go down a rabbit hole of just a bunch of callbacks, only we understand. I know. Okay. Very obscure movie quotes. Yeah. I mean, super bad isn't obscure, but that quote itself was a little bit. A little bit. So this case, let's go. Let's do this. True crime case. We're going to, I was going to say Canada. We're in Canada. Hello. <laughs> We're not going anywhere. This place takes this Jesus Christ. <laughs> this this case takes place in Canada and India. Oh, both. It's hard for me to say for some reason. This case takes place is actually wow. It's really fun to say actually, but it can fuck you up. This case. Oh <laughs> my god. <laughs> that was foul. What do you want from me? I'm a disgusting person. You're not, but okay. I know. I'm a disgusting person. That's another movie quote. Oh. That one was from Pineapple Express. I, you're more of the Pineapple Express one in this. I love that uh, movie. I make up for it because then I cover all of the hot rod, which okay, you don't like. That's not true. It's not that I don't like it. I just feel like I missed the boat on it. Oh, okay. Same way you feel about Napoleon Dynamite. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just couldn't. I didn't get it. And then when I grew up, I was like, I wasn't ready. You grew up? I grew. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let's do this. Okay. That was fun, right? That was fun. Everyone enjoyed himself. Let's get serious, okay? This case takes place in Canada and India. Let's do it. Jazzy and her husband, Me Too were out for an evening ride on their scooter when they realized they're being tailed by a white car. Suddenly, four men get out of the car, attack Me Too, and leave him on the side of the road thinking he's dead. The men abduct Jazzy, bring her to an abandoned farmhouse, tie her to a chair, and tell her Me Too is dead. Jazzy pleads for her life, but she's beaten and strangled, her throat is slit, and her body is dumped in an irrigation canal. Before her death, Jazzy told people that one day there would be a movie made about her life. Little did she realize, several movies would be made, not only about her life, but the tragic honor killing that was her murder. Let's get to know the people we're talking about here, Jazzy and Me Too. And mm-hmm. we'll start with Jazzy. So she was born Jazwinder Car Sidu, but she went by Jazzy by like her friends and family. She was born on August 4th, 1975 in Maple Ridge, British Columbia. She was described as shy, modest, and stunningly beautiful. Which she was. She was very gorgeous. Jazzy came from a family that was very well off, like millionaire rich. Her family consisted of her mother, uh, Mal, oh frick, I think it's 
Malkit, even though it looks like Malkit. Okay. Mal- I'll just say Malkit. <laughs> yep. Malkit Kar Sidu. And then her father, her brother, a couple of aunts, and her uncle, who was her mother's brother. Jazzy's father, though living in the house, he was like barely in the picture because he was described by Jazzy as schizophrenic and he wasn't really involved much in anything, any sort of like consultation or really anything that went on. He was, he kind of just seems like he was isolated somewhere in the house. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. (laughs) Jazzy's uncle, though, his name is Surjit Singh Badesha, he was the dominating force in the household he ruled over everyone and everything he was the reason the family was so wealthy having purchased nine acres of land um, in order to farm blueberries which (laughs) made him lucrative blueberry dynasty it well it was it made him super super in vancouver or bc ridge yeah Yeah, in bc i wouldn't uh i wouldn't have guessed it it's interesting because maple ridge is in an area called the Fraser Valley, which is like kind of mountainous. So I don't know. Yeah. I guess blueberries do well there. Oh, all right. It, it was like fruit, but mainly blueberries. So this house that they had was giant. It sat on this land, like where the farm was, and it was described as a compound. Like in articles and stuff, it was described as the family compound. We're off to a great start. Oh yeah. This house had 25 rooms, 19 bathrooms, six kitchens, and a gorgeous view of the mountains. Oh my god, you know how long it would take to work that house in with 19 bathrooms? You wouldn't feel like home until like a few weeks in. You know how much poopery you would need? (laughs) Okay, I hate poopery. I've never used it, I don't know. It's pulpery, right? Poopery, like the spray. Is it really poopery? Well, there's potpourri. Oh. Like, that's a thing. Okay. But then poopery is like the spray that was patented. Oh. You like when you know you're going to take a real steamer, you like spray it in the bowl before. I mean, and it's supposed to never mind. The smell. <laughs> I'm going to save everyone that joke. <laughs> Listen, it was already pretty gross. Anyway, <laughs> this family is so well off and rich, they probably didn't even poop. It's true. Wealthy people don't poop. That's what I heard. Nope. So Jazzy's life seemed luxurious from the outside. But that was not the case at all. Her life consisted of school, prayer, chores, and discipline. Honor, shame, humiliation, and punishment were central to her life as a girl and woman in a strict traditional household. Jazzy was permitted to go to school basically just so that she could learn how to read and write. But her family didn't care um, like if she went and got any sort of higher education. They didn't really have any expectations of her. Their only expectation was, like, one day you're going to get married. So she attended Pitt Meadows High School and graduated in 1993. In 1998, she enrolled at a local beauty school and got a job as a beautician in a beauty school in Coquitlam, which she considered an escape from her everyday life. It was a chance for her to get out, socialize. She didn't have to be in her house. She could get out of the strict household where she had never been able to really do anything. The rules of the house were like, she was not allowed to date. She couldn't hang out with friends, go to dances, parties, nothing. And at this job she had at the beauty salon, all of the money that she made was deposited into a shared family account and she didn't really see much of it. Fun. 
She told people at school and work that her family was abusive and life at home was hard. Coworkers often noticed bruises on her arms and shoulders, and Jazzy would tell them that it was from her aunts that had beaten her. She confided in her colleagues that she was upset because her family was trying to arrange a marriage for her where she was expected to marry a man that was way older than her. One article said he was 40 years older than her. Ew. Yeah. And this marriage was to be arranged and the family, her family just wanted her to marry this man because he had a lot of money. So if she married him, all she would, all that was expected of her was like, look, you'll get this money and all you have to do is have his kids and serve him just as the women in your family have done before you. Yeah. It's just indentured slavery. It's fine. (laughs) You get some money out of it, sort of, but not really. You don't really get to do anything with it. And, you know, you like kids. And men 40 years older than you. You like guys who can't understand that it's pronounced Pokemon and not the Pokemon. Oh, good God. (laughs) (laughs) You want to date your dad, but not really, right? That's enough of you. (laughs) And another thing. So this in itself, and aside from what Dyson is saying, is upsetting on its own. Um And it worried and upset Jazzy so much because she was already in love and she knew exactly who she wanted to marry. So this brings us to 1994 when Jazzy had gone to Punjab, India for a few months with her family to visit the place that her parents were born, a place called Jagrung. And while she was visiting here, she met a man named Sukhwinder Singh Sidhu in early 1995. So... Sukhwinder Singh Sidhu, little, little bit, was known as Me Too, and that's what I'm going to call him, Me Too, because it's way easier than Sukhwinder Singh Sidhu. That's pretty good, though. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so, yeah, known as Me Too by his friends and family, and he was born in 1977 in Ludhiana, Punjab, India. Specifically, he was raised in the area of Ken. Kayonki and Kosa villages, which isn't the greatest areas at all. It has like a very brutal military and police force to the point that if something happens like crime wise, it was totally normal for the police or military to just go around, round up the local boys, interrogate them, beat them, whatever, just to get some sort of information or confession to a crime, regardless of if it was accurate or not. Okay. And this happened to me too a couple of times. And the first time it happened in 1991. So he was either 13 or 14 years old. In 1992, me too began playing Kabaddi. Now, Kabaddi, I had to Google it, never heard of it before. It's basically a like combat sport. Um, and there's seven players on each side. And. The core idea of the game is to score points by going into the opponent's court and like touching as many defense players as possible without getting caught. Okay. So it sounds like a super like intense version of tag. Yeah. But like, I don't know, maybe I'm not understanding it properly, (laughs) but that's Kabaddi. That's what he played. He was like really good at it. He earned a little bit of money playing the sport. Until the police brought him in again 
rounded up more local boys. They interrogated him, and this time they beat him so severely that he had to stop playing kabaddi for six months. Ooh. Ouch. Yeah. So he healed up, and he did return to the sport in 1993, and he was still really, really good uh, to the point that he was, like, known as this, like, local star. Okay. You know, just me too, the kabaddi master. (laughs) (laughs) But he still didn't really make that much money, so he got a job as an auto rickshaw driver. Again, this doesn't give you, like, you don't really make that much money. So... Painting this picture of Me Too, he's poor, and a romance between a very wealthy Jazzy and a man like Me Too would, you know, it would be considered dishonorable and disgraceful if they were to be together. Right. So this brings us to 1995, when he met Jazzy while she was in Punjab, visiting her, the fam- her like, parents' city that they grew up in. And they met, and it was, like, love at first sight. Jazzy knew that her family would never approve of Me Too because he didn't have money. He didn't have status. He didn't have land to offer the family, which is, like, important to them. Sick tag skills, though, let me tell you. Oh, yeah. Kabaddi, though? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oof. So, yeah, didn't have anything really to offer. So they had to keep their little romance a secret. While Jazzy was still in Punjab, her friend arranged for them to, like, meet. I think it was at the friend's house. She was like, okay, well, you're saying your parents, your family, whatever, isn't going to approve of this. So, like, whatever. Just come hang out at my house and you two can hang out. So they did. They hit it off. They talked all night. And it's reported that they even took oaths of living and dying together very dramatic yes super dramatic very romeo and juliet yo most most immature romances just start off with a promise ring guys it's not immature romance they love each other sorry i didn't mean to devalue the promise ring i gave you (laughs) don't even joke kid (laughs) i don't want a promise ring unless it's like a ring pop so jazzy had to ring but it's okay Disgusting. <laughs> so Jazzy had to return home to Canada, but they continued their relationship long distance by writing letters to each other. And Jazzy would give the letters to her friend to mail, and then that same friend would receive the mail for Jazzy because obviously she didn't want her parents to know about this. Mm-hmm. And this continued until January 1999, so like almost four years. Holy shit. When Jazzy returned to Jagron again with her family. But this time, she returned to India because her family was having no luck arranging a marriage for her in Canada. So they took her on this trip for a few months to find her a husband, where Jazzy turned down every single suggestion because she was in love with Me Too. She didn't want to marry some weirdo dude that her parents were trying to make her marry. Mm -hmm. So in order to see Me Too while she was back in India visiting, he later claimed in an interview that he would give Jazzy sleeping pills and then her, quote, sympathetic aunt would mix the sleeping pills into the family's food so that everyone would just be out cold so that he could sneak into the house and hang out with Jazzy. What? <laughs> oh, my God. It's love. <laughs> it's Okay. <laughs> At this point, they're young. Like, 
youngish. Jazzy at this point is 23, and he would be like 20 or 21. Yeah. So they're just dumb kids. They're in the that's real dumb, though. That's real dumb. What? Sympathetic aunt was just trying to hook You ever seen up. Game of Thrones Red Wedding, bro? No, I haven't. Tell you, this is how it's going to go down. I'm going to drug the food. Your aunt, who's sympathetic, is going to come in. Just <laughs> grind that shit up, okay? We're going to put in the mashed potatoes. Mortar and pestle style. <laughs> Mortar and pestle style. Pestle Bam, boom, knocked out like my dad on Christmas. And then <laughs> we're going to go hang out and play Halo in your room. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I don't think Halo is out in 1999. Oh, how depressing. <laughs> What's the first Halo? Combat Evolved? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I had I had PlayStation. I just remember playing the first Halo and someone was like, this is Halo. It's Combat Evolved and it was launched in 2001. Boom. Oh, it's a great That's right. Your game. girl likes video games. What? I know. Well, Halo scared me initially. Okay. Well, the grunts are adorable. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Where was I? Oh, yeah. You're, you're not impressed by the sleeping pills. No. He also just claims this in one interview. Okay. So, like, maybe it's just him continuing the Romeo and Juliet dr- dramatization. Right. Right. On March 15th, 1999, before Jazzy returned home to Canada, her and Mitu secretly got married in a gurdwara in Ludhiana and spent their first night together in a hotel. Oh, fuck. A gurdwara is just like a temple from my understanding. So they wow. got married and then they finally got to... And the boudoir was a Motel 8. Motel 8? Yeah. On April 19th, <laughs> Jazzy registered the marriage in India, but she still kept it a secret from her family. She did not want them to know. But rumors began to spread about the secret wedding, and Jazzy's mother and uncle were told that Jazzy married a poor man, which they strongly disapproved of. But on top of that, Me Too was from Mal- Malkiet's, so the mother, she, uh, he was from her village, and belonged to the same, quote, Sidhu clan. And traditionally, this type of relationship, like, let alone a marriage, is forbidden. Now, I tried to look into this a bit because I'm, like, I'm not Punjabi. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have any Indian roots. So it's like all new to me researching this. But to say like a Sidhu clan, it doesn't mean that they're like related. It basically is saying that Punjabis are broken up into different clans or tribes Mm -hmm. based on the region of Punjab and the religion and stuff like that. So the Sidhu clan is a group of people who have like are from a similar region and have the same religion. Okay. That it's more complex than that, but that's yeah, I guess super Yeah, it gets super fucking complex sociologically. If you are like Punjabi or know anything else about Punjab in general, I'd love to hear a better version of it because that was my layman's terms. Sorry, I'm white and Canadian and I tried my best. I feel bad for not knowing because like <laughs> uh, one of the things that like university was one of my roommates um, would have, I guess he was part of like a Molly Ollie club. I have no idea what that is. A Molly Ollie club? <laughs> yeah, but it was like something to do with with like 
uh, I thought it was something to do with India and like a section there or something like that. But yeah, th several fucking amazing house parties held at our place. And it was just like, I still to this day, I was like, I don't really know what that was, but it was awesome. I'm sorry, I'm Googling it and I'm not, I don't know. Meh. It's complex shit. I know, right? Plus, then it could like maybe a Malayali is like different depending on like who you are and what yeah. You that's come what I was gonna say. I was like, I don't know if that's like a like a, I don't know what that is, but so yeah. Listen, we're trying our best, and I'm all open to learning. All right, that's my understanding of what a Sidhu clan is. Mm -hmm. Basically, just from a similar region with a similar background, and it doesn't mean they're related because they do have a, the same last name, Sidhu, mm -hmm. but. It's not because they're like cousins or something. So yeah, the fact that he's poor and that he comes from the same, quote, Sidhu clan is the reason that Jazzy keeps denying that she didn't marry him. And she insists to her family that it's just rumors. It's nothing to worry about. She can only deny it for so long, though. And in June, so what's that, like three months after she marries Me Too? Her mother and her uncle find out about the marriage. They find out that it really did happen, and they demand that she divorces Me Too, and she won't agree. She's like, no, I'm not divorcing him. Mm -hmm. So her mother and her uncle try to bribe and persuade her. They tell her that they'll buy her a really nice new car and other expensive material things, but Jazzy refuses. So her mother and her uncle beat her and make her sign some documents written in Punjabi, which Jazzy can't read. Like, she's born in Canada. She only really speaks and writes in English. Mm -hmm. So she can't read what this paper says. And her mother and uncle are claiming that it's just letters that would help me to come to Canada. Okay. On February 9th, 2000... Jazzy tries herself to arrange for Me Too to immigrate to Canada because whatever letter she signed is obviously not working. It's 2000 now and he's not in Canada yet. Mm -hmm. And she's also a little bit suspicious that her family never intended for him to, my, to uh, immigrate over. Yeah. And just based on how abusive her uncle especially is, she starts suspecting that he's going to say bad things about me too so that he can never come over to canada and she sends a letter to ottawa immigration officials to warn them that her uncle might give them false information about me too which he does that was pretty fucking smart of her mm -hmm. that was on the ball yeah 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 she's very very smart so the next day february 10th her uncle submits an affidavit that says Jazzy was kidnapped and forced at gunpoint by Me Too and his friends to marry Me Too and sends it to immigration officials in India. And Jazzy finds out that this affidavit was actually the letter that she signed. She didn't sign a letter to help Me Too come to Canada. She signed this affidavit that says she was kidnapped and held at gunpoint and forced to marry him. Oh my God. And her uncle at this point is tired of Jazzy refusing to divorce me too. No matter what he does to her, she refuses. So he confines her to the family home in Maple Ridge as punishment.
So two weeks later, towards the end of February, the Indian police have received the affidavit from Sarjeet, so Jazzy's uncle, and they begin investigating the claims that are made in the affidavit that, you know, she was kidnapped and held at gunpoint and forced to marry me too. And they investigate this because they take it very seriously. Forced marriages are a criminal offense in Punjab. So they arrest Mitu and his friends, and they hold them all illegally for four days. This gives uh, Sergi time to arrive from Canada into Punjab and beat them while they're in custody. And he tells me to he will help him immigrate to Canada if he divorces Jazzy. But of course, me too refuses. Yeah, or else why the fuck would he want to come to Canada? Right. I mean, like it's it's yeah, like lots of people want to come to Canada. There's a lot of reasons you'd want to, but like this guy wants to come to Canada because his wife's there. Yeah. His wife, by the uh, way, I fucker. Know. His wife and. Obviously, how are you going to trust Sergeet? He's not going to, I'll help you come to Canada, just divorce her. No, you're going to divorce her and then he's going to leave you in the dust because he doesn't want you to be with his niece. Mm -hmm. God. So, Me Too is finally released from custody, but he's forced into hiding because Malkit, Jazzy's mother, and Sergeet keep threatening his life. Uh, Me Too calls Jazzy to explain what happened, that he got arrested based on this affidavit and Sarjeet came down and beat him and was saying, like, I'll help you come to Canada. Just divorce Jazzy. Divorce her. And is, like, begging her for help. Like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Your family is insane. Mm -hmm. And on March 8th, 2000, Jazzy faxes a notarized letter to Indian police refuting the kidnapping story. And in it, she just, she states stuff like, she married me too of her own free will. That's her husband. She loves him. Her family has nothing to do with it. They're just interfering because it's, in their eyes, a dishonorable, disgraceful marriage. But there was no kidnapping. There was nothing to do with gunpoint. She loves him. That's her husband. It's she also wild to me that, like, she's a She's a grown adult. I know. So, like, I can't believe that they're just taking the word of of her, like, parents as, like, gospel without consulting her and being like, hey, I need you to verify this. Yeah, her. Or else they're just strangers, technically. It's mostly her uncle running the show, and then her mother is also in the background, and God knows how involved she really wants to be. The uncle is obviously tyrant yeah and women especially in this household they don't really matter as much they don't really get the same say they're obviously forced to do whatever the uncle says yeah but her mother still kind of sucks well yeah because <laughs> i mean like you could just slip a heads up here and there right mm. like hey by the way just maybe call Call up Ottawa and tell him the second Alpha David coming down the pipeline is also not true or something, you know? Like, goddamn. I know, and Jazzy is, like, trying everything. Getting, like, notarized letter, being like, no, I love him. That's my husband. Like, you have to help him. Like, my yeah. family won't stop threatening him. Yeah. And, she, oh, that's the other letter. She sends a second letter that outlines her fears for her and Me Too safety because her mother and her uncle won't stop threatening me too. Mm -hmm. On April 3rd, 
Happy birthday, Dyson. Oh. <laughs> Jazzy goes to the RCMP in Maple Ridge after being brutally beaten and threatened by her uncle. Oh. So she's there and explains the situation. Like her uncle is pretty much confining her to the house and punishing her for marrying Me Too, who's over in India. And her uncle and her mother are calling him and threatening him and getting other people to threaten him. And it's very complicated and sucks. And the RCMP just give her a telephone number for the India, the Indian consulate. That checks out. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Jesus Christ. So they're not very helpful. And the next day she goes to Surrey, BC, which is 30 minutes away from Maple Ridge. And she gets a new passport issued. Two days later, on April 6th, she calls the RCMP and explains again that she is in danger, she fears for her life, and she needs help. So an RCMP constable goes to her house oh. and accompanied Jazzy as she just quickly threw her belongings into garbage bags and was escorted out of the family home by this constable because she's mm -hmm. like... Remember, her uncle has confined her there. Yeah. So she doesn't know what else to do. And mm -hmm. she's repeatedly saying, I'm so afraid. It takes balls to do. Yeah. And guess what? The entire time this is going down, everyone in her family, so her mom, aunts, uncle, brothers, everyone, are just screaming and yelling like the most horrible things at her. Yeah. While she's just panicking and throwing her shit into garbage bags. Also checks out. It Like, it's... A nightmare. So the constable is even concerned <laughs> by the family's behavior. Mm -hmm. um, he like he talks to Jazzy and is like, so what do you want to do? Like, do you want us to put you up somewhere? Like, as in like a, a shelter? Yeah, like a women's battered shelter? Mm -hmm. or, or battered women's shelter? I don't think you say battered women anymore, but... Oh, sorry. That's just where... <laughs> <I know. laughs> there was one down my street, that's all. Um... So she says, like, she has friends from work, and maybe one of them will help her. So the constable calls this friend from Jazzy's work and explains that she needs a place to stay. And her friend is like, of course, because her friends at work are already totally aware of how fucked up her home life is mm -hmm. and how much of a tyrant her uncle is. And, I mean, remember, they were seeing, like, bruises and stuff on her. And, mm -hmm. her, and she was saying, like, yeah, my aunts beat me. So this friend was like, of course, she can stay with me. So the constable's like, okay, we are going <laughs> to meet in an underground parking garage. And this is because the constable was freaked out by how insane Jazzy's family was and were scared that they would get somebody to follow them. So he meets the friend with Jazzy in this underground parking garage. And Jazzy goes and stays with this friend for a bit. And the entire time, they were just terrified that they were in danger. Like, her family yep. would figure out where she was. And the friend said that among the items that Jazzy just threw into garbage bags, she had childhood photos of her with her mother. And Jazzy would take them out and cry because she knew she was never going to see her mom again. Even though yeah. this family is still her mom. It's crazy. Yeah. But even though she needs to let that go. I just thought that was like, ugh. So sad. That's brutal. You're, you're panicking. You want to get out of this house. So you're throwing shit into garbage bags. 
and you still feel like you have to put these photos in. Yep. So Jazzy stayed with this friend for a week or so, and then she flew to Punjab with after Me Too was released from jail on April 19th to hide out with him at his grandparents' house. Oh, no. On April 26th, Sojit, the uncle, made his first call to a wealthy Punjab businessman named Darshan Singh, who was very well connected. And it's believed they discussed tracking down Jazzy. By June 7th, Sojit learns where Jazzy's hiding, and Malkit, which is Jazzy's mother, calls Jazzy and Me Too to speak to them. And it's June 7th at this point, so it's been a couple of months since Jazzy's fled from Canada to hide with Me Too. So she believes that this call is some sort of like peace offering or a way for them to make amends and just try and lead a normal life and have her family just accept that she's with him. That's her husband. Mm -hmm. And so she ends up revealing where she's hiding. Fuck. To her mother. Yeah. The next day, Jazzy and Mewtwo were out for an evening ride on the scooter when they realized that they were being followed by a white car with a bunch of men in it. So when Jazzy and Mewtwo were crossing over a bridge, the car cut the couple off. Four men got out of the car, ambushed them by attacking Mewtwo with swords and sharpened sticks, and they left him on the side of the road thinking that they killed him. They abducted Jazzy and brought her to an abandoned farmhouse outside the city of Ludiana, where they tied her to a chair and told her that they killed Mewtwo. He's dead. So mm. now you have no husband. And despite being attacked and beaten with swords and sharpened sticks, he miraculously survived, which in all the articles I read, doctors who saw him in the hospital were like, dude, I don't know how the fuck you survived that. Yeah, that's a goddamn miracle. So he was found and taken to a hospital in Ludiana where he told police everything that happened. He was just on a scooter with his wife and these men, these four men in a white car, ambushed them and attacked them and, t and kidnapped Jazzy. Meanwhile, at Here, the, wait, sorry. the whole time you're telling me that, I can't get that <laughs> song out of my head. Here they come. The boys in the bright white sports come. I don't even know what song that Waving is. Waving their sticks in the air. Who do they think they are? You don't know that song? No. Except for there's no sticks. I made that part up. Whatever. This whole thing is a fever dream for you. Yeah. <laughs> I just imagined a bunch of douchebags in a fucking car. They're like. Chasing them down. Like, oh. They are douchebags. They're like. Essentially oh, they're like cunts. A yeah. Lo a local gang. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. It's a yeah. gang. So meanwhile, at the abandoned farmhouse, one of the kidnappers is a man named Ashwani Kumar, and he calls Sajit in BC and talks to him in Malkit. So he's on the phone with Jazzy's mother and uncle while Jazzy is in the background crying and screaming, mm -hmm. not understanding why the fuck she's just being abducted and is being held captive in an abandoned farmhouse. And Ashwani kind of like hands the phone towards her. Mm -hmm. So Jazzy's on the phone pleading for her life with her mother while she's being beaten. And Malki orders Ashwani Kumar to kill Jazzy. Wow. Mm -hmm. 
so her kidnappers beat and strangle her and then slit her throat. What? Jesus Christ. Not even just beat and then strangle her after that order and then kill her. Yeah. And I read in an article that her throat was slit with some sort of like religious ceremonial type knife. Yeah, of course it was. So that it was, it had like an engraving on it that said like honor God or something like that. Yes, because it's so clear in this story that the family was on God's side. Mm. God was on their side. Don't you know? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Jesus, fucking these deluded fucks. Mm -hmm. Just because she married a poor man, so they felt dishonored and... Like it was yeah, like, I'm sorry, you can't get the next-gen iPad. So you gotta go, oh, I'm sorry, you're still so rich, you probably can, you asshole. Yeah, billionaires. Yeah. So the next day, a woman's body is found in an irrigation canal, and an Indian newspaper publishes a photo of the woman, and Mutu's family identify her and claim her body. Yeah. It's literally like... I'm glad it was Me Too's family that was like, oh, okay, we know her, we'll claim her. Yeah. And not the other fucking family and just be like, oh no, our daughter. Mm-hmm. I think it's just because this was all happening in India, whereas mm -hmm. her whole family is in I Canada. know, I just, I think the fucking uncle's such a skeezy would fucking do it. I mean, he did fly over just yeah. to beat those guys. Yeah. I think, I, I could totally see this fucking bitch just being like... I'm calling him a bitch now. I'm actually upset. <laughs> Just being like, oh, oh, no. Oh, we loved her so much. And we were just such a perfect family together. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, everyone, though, would be like, um, yeah, remember when we told you that they got married and you were fucking pissed? <laughs> yeah. By June 18th, news made, it, news made its way over to BC. And BC and Canadian newspapers started to cover Jazzy's case. The same day, Indian police seized weapons, cars, and cell phones from the gang of men suspected of kidnapping and killing Jazzy. Because Me Too survived, so he was able to identify people. Yeah. Three weeks later, on July 9th, Indian police announced Jazzy's murder was a contract killing, and they arrest 11 men suspected of involvement. Two days later, so July 11th, Warrants were issued for Malkeet and Surjeet for paying, quote, thugs, 50 grand for a hit on Jazzy. That's it? Well, I mean. I mean, India, I know. Like, that's a lot of money goes far. But, like, God There's damn it, reports, life. like, separate, like, outside of this, there's reports of people killing, like, essentially contract killings for, like, 200 bucks. That's so fucked up. So 50 grand is like, woo. Yep. So much. So that's the Indian police that have issued this warrant for them. Mm -hmm. But nothing happens because they're in Canada. And of course, they deny any involvement in the death of Jazzy and the attack on Me Too. Mm -hmm. But they do admit that they completely oppose the marriage on cultural grounds. So, <laughs> you know. Just because he's poor. Yeah, fuck right off. Like, it's not even legal to do this kind of shit in India. Mm -mm. And they're like, oh, cultural grounds. It's like, the culture you're trying to use as sh a shield right now has condemned this shit. Yeah, Fucker. they don't admit to any sort of honor killing, though. They're just yeah. saying, like, what? 
What? No, we would never. But we, but we didn't approve, though. Just so you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> so they might have denied all involvement in mm. Jazzy's murder, but from Canada, they continued contacting like these thugs and gang members and stuff, and well-connected men in Punjab to continuously threaten Me Too, which he dealt with for months. Mm-hmm. In January 2001, a local gang shot up his family's house, and not long after that, when he was walking down the street, someone tried to run him over. Since BC newspapers had been covering Jazzy's murder, the case gained traction and started getting more media attention. So in t- October 2001, the Fifth Estate went to India and investigated her murder and produced this award-winning documentary called The Murdered Bride. Yeah. If anyone doesn't understand, like, The Fifth Estate is, like, the best news documentary show in Canada. Mm -hmm. They don't fuck around and they they do, like, really deep dives. Yeah. So it's either a blessing or a curse if The Fifth Estate covers the story. And they're a national broadcaster. They're part of the national broadcaster. So it goes all across Canada. Everyone gets it. Piped right into their TV. Yep. So for this documentary, The Fifth Estate spoke with RCMP in BC, who said that they have no jurisdiction over crimes committed in India, even though Jazzy is a Canadian citizen. Mm-hmm. born and raised in canada but they're like eh, sorry so after this you know whatever interview you want to call it for the documentary the rcmp kind of like dug into the crime a little bit further and started communicating with authorities in india and it's essentially just because they were put on blast by the fifth estate 100 <laughs> percent, it was yeah <laughs> And in January 2002, they reach out to the Fifth Estate again, and they confirm that they do have jurisdiction to investigate Jazzy's murder because they learned that the conspiracy to commit the murder happened from Canada. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter that the actual murder occurred in India, conspiring to commit murders against the law, period. I'm so dead... Like, I'm fighting myself as a producer right now to insert the gotcha bitch from Dave Chappelle. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't. (laughs) Fair, it's fair. So despite confirming that they have the jurisdiction to investigate and work with Indian authorities, it doesn't seem like the RCMP took any further action because when pressed for answers throughout 2003 on the progress of the investigation or any sort of updates, just people wanted to know, like, what the fuck are you doing about it? What's happening? All the RCMP would say is that they weren't going to confirm or deny that an investigation was even taking place. And they keep this stance until June 2005. So this is five years. This is a long fucking time. Jazzy's been murdered. And in June 2005, this is when they finally tell the Fifth Estate that there is an ongoing investigation, but they still refuse to give any sort of details. Yeah. So, meanwhile, in 2004, Me Too can't catch a break, and he's arrested and charged with raping one of Darshan Singh's servants. So, Darshan Singh is that really rich guy that Sarjeet contacted to try and have Jazzy tracked or tailed or killed or whatever. And Me Too's lawyer, of course, is saying that these charges are false. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he remained in, incarcerated while awaiting trial. 
And Michu's family and the lawyer, they're saying, like, he's only charged of this rape because of Darshan Singh. And they reveal that they were offered nearly $300,000 to, quote, settle the case Holy with fuck. Jazzy. And they turned it down because they're like, no, yep. you, re- you fucking killed her. Cold-blooded. No, we're not taking your fucking dirty money. Mm-hmm. And then conveniently, Me Too is accused of raping a woman connected to Darshan. Yeah. So, very fishy. So yeah, despite the RCMP dragging their feet or doing whatever the fuck they're doing, Indian authorities had been working to bring charges to everyone connected to Jazzy's murder based on what their investigation revealed. And on October 21st, 2005, Darshan Singh and six other men were convicted of plotting to murder Jazzy, actually committing the murder, and attempting to murder Me Too. Mm-hmm. So Ashwani Kumar, who's the man that called Jazzy's mother and uncle and received the order to kill Jazzy, mm-hmm. he was one of the men that was convicted. And it was revealed that cell phone records showed Markeet, sorry, Malkeet and Sergeet, so the mother and uncle, they were in constant contact with Ashwani week, for weeks leading up to the murder. Right. And cell phone records showed over 200 phone calls. Holy. Yeah. They were going through the plan. Yeah. They had a spark note summary and mm-hmm. goddamn. So all six men were given life sentences, but the Indian authorities revealed that they were like pretty disappointed and frustrated because they know that Malkeet and Sergi are getting away with murder. And if you'll remember this happened in October 2005 that Mm -hmm. these six men were convicted. But the Indian authorities charged Malkit and Sergeet pretty much immediately with orchestrating the murder. Nice. So it's been like over five years and they aren't getting anywhere in the extradition. Even though they had tried multiple times to get cooperation from Canadian Foreign Affairs, the Department of Justice, and the RCMP. But Malkit and Sergeet were still living their lives in Maple Ridge. That's so fucking weird. And frustrating. Yeah. Goddamn. So another frustrating side note is that in 2015, 10 years after he, almost 10 years after he was convicted, Darshan Singh was acquitted of all charges. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. Ugh. So yeah. This makes me want to puke. I know. Just everywhere you turn, you're like, the fuck? What the fuck? Mm -hmm. So media in Canada, they never let up on the case, though. And the newspaper called the Asian Pacific Coast created an online petition, which garnered thousands of signatures from people seeking justice for Jazzy. And people all over the world were invested in her story and wanted to see Malkit and Sergeet face charges. Mm Because everyone and their mother knows these two people did this yeah these douchebags did it yeah they conspired and orchestrated all of it there is no crime without them giving the green light Mm -hmm. and me too and his family said that they were facing a serious financial crisis because they're spending all of their money obtaining resources to fight for justice for jazzy and resources to fight these rape cases that keep coming up against me too 
Yeah. And I firmly believe he isn't out there raping everyone. No. It's it's these people connected this, to Sergi and This poor Darshan. dude needs to just keep a GoPro on him at all times so that he can prove. He's like, yeah, no, I was actually just like getting lunch at that time. <laughs> right. Fuck. And every time he's accused of something, it all leads back to Sergi. Mm -hmm. The connection. Yep. It's despicable. Unreal. Nearly 12 years after Jazzy is murdered, Malkit and Sergeet are finally arrested in Canada on July, sorry, January 6th, 2012, for conspiracy to commit murder. And they are held in custody pending an extradition hearing, which happens in 2013. Beautiful. Finally. But you know what? Damn it. That was a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. No. It was a beautiful day for that day. No. So testimony was heard from RCMP officers who basically just defend their handling of the case, and we'll just move on right by that. <laughs> and <laughs> testimony is also heard from coworkers and friends of Jazzy, who testified to Jazzy's concerns, her fears, the bruises, and just the overall abuse that she faced living in that house. The court heard how Sergeet went to Jazzy's workplace and told Jazzy's boss that she was not allowed to leave work and she was not allowed to make any phone calls. And they also told how Jazzy was escorted to and from work every single day by members of her family. This woman had no autonomy. No, no autonomy, like zero real privacy. No privacy at all. I don't even want to know how she had to live in that house. Mm-hmm. The court also heard from the friend that picked Jazzy up from that underground parking garage. And they heard from a woman who rented the basement suite from Jazzy's family who said that she called police repeatedly, several times, to report domestic disturbances at the house. Oh my god, they were doing this while someone had the basement unit? Yes. And nothing ever happened. Yeah, these fuckers are shameless. Mm-hmm. Because they think, like, in their twisted minds that this... The way they're behaving is is justified. It's gross. <clears throat> this extradition hearing happened in Canada in 2013, but between 2013 and 2019, so six years, the follow-through process of actually remanding Malkit and Sergeet to Punjab to face their charges for a conspiracy to commit murder were repeatedly given a green light and then canceled. Because Marquette, Malkit and Sergeet would argue that there either wasn't enough evidence in the case against them uh, or Canada would get like cold feet and get worried that it could be pointless to send them to India because Canada was questioning if they would even see justice over there and if Malkit and Sergeet would be safe. And just overall, it was very sloppy. It was very frustrating. Oh. Yeah. So, okay. The first one, I was like, that's a good point. And the second one, get fucked. Oh, they're, they're not going to be safe not in be India. Safe, or what if we finally like remand them over to Punjab custody, but then like nothing happens anyway, or like they don't get justice. That's a real threat. 
that's the real fucking bullshit aspect of this is like this dude fucking bribed his way through everything like money talks for this guy mm-hmm. and he's got a fuck ton of connections he has no problems like to have the balls to send that alpha 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 david alpha david <laughs> um and all this kind of bullshit meanwhile he's like do trying to get an arranged marriage and all this kind of shit and like this guy's got connections he he there is a risk he'll fucking get off mm-hmm. but the other one's bullshit there yeah, is no yeah. risk to these people in there i know like if I- anything they're they're like top of the food chain well, yeah, because like you said, money talks. Yeah. I think it's just a way for Canada to say, listen, we don't really trust the Indian justice system. Mm-hmm. And without only having to say that, because they are in a way saying that. They're saying, well, we worry that if we do extradite them and they're remanded by Punjab, that they might not even like face any sort of justice. Yeah. And... That is their way of saying, like, uh, it's kind of, it can be corrupt, money talks. So they're saying, like, well, I don't know, what if they're not safe? Just as, like, a fall through. Yeah, I don't know. I just, if I was running that case, I'd be like, yeah, the alternative is they get to live the sweet life in our country right now. Like, which is just, like, they're they're getting the best of, like, both worlds, right? Because they're, he's making ton of ton of money up in B.C., Mm-hmm. And he's able to still like build connections in India and stuff. And he's just, you know, he's free in a comfortable area right now and whatever. And then, you know, I would send him over to India and be like, <laughs> you know, sort sort this one out. At least there's a chance he sees justice. And if not, then like, God damn it. Well, yeah, he has so many connections in India. Like him and his sister still have family over there. Yeah. Um, like. Yeah. And he's going to like India's an- gorgeous, too. So like. In some spots. Yeah, in some spots. But like, oh, if you have money, it's like, holy oh, fuck. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The places with money are yeah, insane. Like you would, if he's got a mansion here, he's got a palace there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I would at least try for the only option where there's a chance of justice. I wouldn't let him just sit freely. No. So... In the essence of saving time and frustration, instead of me walking through each time it was greenlit and then canceled and greenlit and then canceled, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. We're just going to fast forward through all of that chaotic time. So six <laughs> fucking years. Oh, um, right. Yeah. To January 22nd, 2019. More than 18 years after Jazzy's been murdered. Mm-hmm. 18 years. Mm-hmm. When Canadian authorities finally extradited Malkit and Sergi to Punjab and on January 25th, 2019 they make their first court appearance to face their charges of conspiracy to commit murder and they're held in Indian police custody. Malkit was in custody from January 22nd, 2019 until December 16th, 2020 when she was released on bail. Sergeet was in custody from January 22nd, 2019 to March 2022, when he was also released on bail on the grounds that he hasn't been charged with any crime yet. And, you know, his sister's been out on bail since December 2020, and he's in his 70s, and he should be released already. So the Indian High Court agreed, and he's been out on bail. No charges have been laid yet. As of November 27th, 2022, over 22 years after Jazzy has been murdered, Malkit and Sergi have not faced any charges. 
Jesus fucking Christ. I know. It's corrupt as shit. It's it's so many things. Yeah. It's corrupt. It's disappointing. It's unsatisfying. It's frustrating. And just everyone knows it. Everyone knows it. Everyone mm. knows that Sergei is the ringleader and Malkit is whatever the fuck she is. But at the end of the day, that's your daughter. You fight for your daughter. Like, and I... The whole time I was kind of going like, well, like Canada and India are like pretty good friends on the world level, right? Yeah, like, they are. They're going to, but the, one of the things that re- ha- happened recently within the last couple of years is there was a bit of a falling out and everything's just kind of grind to a halt. Yeah. So I'm like extra bitter because like, of course, now of all times where like, there's like a little bit of work to do, like that kind of ask is my understanding though is that they're out on bail in india Mm -hmm. like i don't think that you're granted bail and you're allowed to leave the country i know i just mean like canada in other like at another time would be like able to you know make a few phone calls and be like oh "Oh, this is looking real bad guys maybe we just Mm -hmm. have another look and maybe speed it up a bit I don't know. I feel like it all comes down to money talks. It really does. This, yeah, I wouldn't. I have a feeling this guy, and I'm not saying he did it because I'm sure someone with money would love to sue, but like, I have a feeling this guy paid a lot of people off. I know. It is alleged. But come on. Mm-hmm. They have all these phone records. India knows. Yep. It's so frustrating. So, yeah, I know that that is uh, super unsatisfying that you go through all of that. Everyone is so certain that Malkit and Sergeet are guilty, but, mm-hmm. you know, they haven't been found guilty in the Indian court of law. Uh, so they don't have to face any consequences yet. So I don't really want to end it on that note. So I do have a little bit more of a positive note to end it on positive-ish okay so those who knew jazzy dedicated their time and energy to fighting for what they believe justice means for her including putting together a timeline of her the tragedy and the complicated court proceedings that followed so thank you very much to all of the news outlets and just people online and stuff that put together those timelines because they're very helpful because mm-hmm. especially following the court proceedings was confusing Yeah, I can imagine. Some people were impacted so deeply by Jazzy's tragic murder that it changed their lives. And in turn, they dedicated time to changing other people's lives for the better. An amazing example of this is Jazzy's high school principal, a man named Tim Longridge, who diligently followed Jazzy's case. And in 2020, he announced that he was establishing a scholarship in her name to be given to a graduating student from School District 42, (laughs) which just means Maple Ridge and Pitt Meadows area of British Columbia. The scholarship became available in 2021, and it's called the Jim Longridge Justice Scholarship in honor of Jazzy Sidhu. And it provides $1,000 to a graduate of School District 42 who is planning to earn a degree in the field of criminology or justice. Sadly, Jim passed away on November 29th, 2021. And Raminder Dasanj, I'm sorry, Raminder, that's probably wrong, 
Anyway, she is the founding member of the India Mahila Association. Mm-hmm. And this association works to eradicate violence against women. And after Jim's passing, she said about him, quote, he urged politicians to take a stand and do something about it. To us, he was a champion of human rights and women's rights. He cared what happened and went out of his way to ask for justice for Jazzy. He didn't have to. He chose to speak out. He chose to demand justice for her. And we will miss his voice. End quote. By those who fight for justice for Jazzy, she's remembered as a quiet and friendly woman, and her legacy lives on through the scholarship established in her name, and by those who keep her name alive through their advocacy efforts and education and sharing her story. Hmm. That's Jazzy's really scary, horrible, quote, honor killing. I really didn't use it much throughout this episode, because I, I hate that term. I hate the word the term honor killing yeah because it's not it's everything but it's just uh, yeah i agree with you so I'd probably just, just limit that i use it like a couple times just because i mean that is how it is reported that's just that's what everyone recognizes it as but it's yeah it's i just not... don't like it i don't like it she was fucking murdered because she loved someone who her family thought was like poor and didn't have anything to offer them yeah. And he was, he technically should have been murdered too, but like he just fucking somehow survived. Yeah, he powered through. I hope he's doing all right. Mm, he's okay. I hope he gets a hug, man. This whole <laughs> thing Christ. has been absolutely hard on him. And he's still going through it today because, yep. as we've learned, it's still ongoing. I, one of the things that drives me insane oh my is God, like, and he still loves her too. I know. And he, like, in interviews, he'll say, like, we would have had kids by now. And like stuff like that. Like, I want him to claim asylum here, but that's like a selfish thing. But like, I, I, I'd rather him here. Right. I don't want him around the gangs in India. I'd rather him here. But the only thing I'm like, yeah, but then like the family's up here too. But like, you know what? They're in see DC it, though. Yeah, but also see it more as like a, like go fuck yourself to the family than a, oh, I have to live in the same country. I know. Where yeah, like, like, motherfucker, you didn't kill me, and now I'm, now I'm here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He'd like it here, I think. Yeah. We're well, okay. Excuse yeah. me. Sorry, little, that was rude. A little chilly, but sometimes, but he'd like it, I think. Oh, my God. What, yesterday when we were out playing Pokemon Go, did you, <laughs> what, we play, what, Dyson and I go on little cute walks around town yeah and we play pokemon go together and we battle in gyms and what do you want from us okay it's part yeah. of our relationship <laughs> yesterday dyson when we were downtown yeah playing pokemon go we're taking over that gym at the church mm-hmm. <laughs> yes as we do did you hear the woman talking to the guy they were walking across the street oh and yeah she was saying like oh it's your first winter here like okay let me help you out. You need to make sure you have a scarf. You need to make sure you have a hat. And I know you coat. think that that first snowfall is magical, but that's because it's still mild out. It's not magical. Just you wait till the actual <laughs> winter. Did you hear that? I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, when we were sitting on the bench. Yeah, we were sitting on the bench. And then, like, he is going to like keep walking straight and she goes to like cross the other mm-hmm. side of the road and she's just like, okay, anyway, have a great day. Nice to meet you. <laughs> He's probably just walking home alone. Like I thought it was already cold. <laughs> <laughs> it was very wholesome. It was funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I mean, that's what that's what I got. That's yeah. what I got. I loved it. It was a, it was really well told. Thank you. And also, like now I know of this story, which I had no idea before. And um, fuck the uncle and fuck the mother. Honestly, get and anyone fucked. in that family that was enabling this. May something behavior. slide up your butthole that's very dry and sandpapery. <laughs> May you forever feel like you're chafing in jeans. I'd like to talk to the uncle directly. May you always feel like you have BSTL, but any stretch you make is not stretchy enough to subdue the feeling of BSTL. You piece of shit. Well said. Thanks. As soon as any news is had about what happens with the mother and the uncle, I'll give everyone an update, but just saying, it's been over 22 years and we have nothing so far. Well, there's updates, but I mean, nothing satisfying in relation to Malkeet and Sergi. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Hopefully you guys like that. You can, um, you know, follow us over on Instagram. Tell us what you thought of this case. It's yeah. also the last episode of November. So if you follow us on Instagram, you will be able to see our December schedule. We've got uh, some good stuff coming up. We're planning our little one year anniversary. It'll be fun. The episode a little bit more light. And that's where we'll talk about whatever case suggestions you give us questions you send over little shout outs from people who've given us compliments and stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, make sure you reach out too so that we can shout you out. And yeah, so that means that next week we'll catch you on the dark side for our one year anniversary episode. Yeah. Bye. An amazing example of this. Uh. We don't have bloopers anymore. It's because you read it so cleanly. Thank you!